good morning good afternoon good evening wherever in the world you are welcome to episode 10 of stemming from africa my name is cynthia leola so to start off happy new year everybody i hope you had a great start to the new year and i hope you really enjoyed your holidays because we deserve it after the last two years and the mess we've all been through we deserve a good holiday if you didn't well you know it's a new year and new beginnings i'm a sucker for the holidays and new years so i'm one of those people who makes resolutions and my mom was laughing about it the other day but i still make them and i i actually stay with them and the secret i found to making resolutions is to make different targets in different spheres of your life so what do you want to achieve health wise what do you want to achieve um, let's say intellectually, what do you want to achieve in terms of travel? What do you want to achieve in your career and financially? Those are just some categories. If anybody's still setting goals, that might be a good way to think about it and be realistic. So if you've never worked out before, you're obviously not going to start working out five times a week. So build it up. So start maybe... Um, for the first month, I want to work out twice a week. And then the next month, I want to work out three times a week and then four times a week and then five times. And what's been really helpful for me over the past maybe two years has been setting targets quarterly. So I review them and being just realistic. So tips that... I find helpful and if you're setting new year targets and resolutions and goals or whatever think about that it's something I enjoy doing reflecting on the past year and uh, setting goals and planning out my new year I haven't finished yet because my nanny left for the last two weeks so it was just my husband and the baby and I and he was working full-time so it was mostly just me and the baby and babies are a handful so I didn't really have time to do any of that I'm just now setting my goals and I'm excited to to start and I have some interesting goals for the podcast I probably will share them in the next episode but one of the major ones is to have as many people come on from different areas of STEM as possible and to have an episode every week regardless of the situation. I meant to have 10 episodes out in 2021, but then um, if you remember, I got COVID and then I couldn't put out the last episode. I, I just was overwhelmed <laughs> by, by things going on. So yeah, but regardless, I'm really, really proud that I'm on episode 10 because it's a big deal to me. So this year, I'm excited to see the guests we have and to just introduce you to a lot more people and to learn from people because it's just been, for me, this podcast has been a learning experience. Every time I speak to somebody, I learn something new or I um, learn something that changes a viewpoint I had. So it's something I really, really enjoy doing and I hope that you enjoy listening as well. I won't do much with highlights and uh, thoughts because it's just the first week of the year and I mostly just wanted to touch on resolutions and goal settings because it's something I enjoy doing. So if you enjoy doing that, well, think about the categories or, or, or the way I set it out. Um, I got it from someone else and I'm paying it forward by sharing it because I really enjoy it and it's something that's worked for me. Straight on to this week's episode, which features Neema. Nema is a civil engineer from Tanzania studying in the University of Cape Town. I really enjoyed speaking to her because she really went into like the technical side of things, which, like I said before, was a learning experience for me. But also something I really enjoy is listening and watching people talk about the things they do and the things they're passionate about because they light up like their voice becomes more excited and their faces light up. It's just, it, it gives me such joy. So I wish I could share the video of this, um, but unfortunately I can't because it's not a video podcast, it's just audio. But I hope you can pick up 
how excited she is when she talks about the things she she loves also fair warning that my baby was in the background at some point and so if you hear a baby uh screaming and yelling in the background she was happy <laughs> and really at sometimes there's not much i can do about it because i don't record in a studio i record at home my hope is not too distracting um if it is just enjoy the the sounds from from my baby and you know keep it moving uh yeah so i think i will leave it at that because this episode is a bit long and see you on the other side my name is nema stephen kahabi that's a stephen with a ph and i am a candidate in of civil engineering um materials at the university of cape town and so whenever i basically put that out there um it's one of the journeys for me that has been 3 years that i'm a masters candidate for 3 years and i'm hoping anybody that experienced with me covid which i'm hoping is the whole world can just relate to the fact that we have decided always to push forward a lot of our plans and so that happened with me and my studies as well um so my masters was partly research work and partly courses so the research part had to sort of be pushed so much because um of covid because i couldn't go into the laboratory because of covid rules and things like that but um yeah i think i need to be kicked out of school now uh and as i mentioned earlier that you know i need to stop dodging whatever um taxes i'm not paying and actually start paying them but um to sort of like just contextualize my degree i did my undergraduate degree at the university of dar es salaam so anybody that is from there woohoo you know and i worked for a bit um to be very particular it was 10 months yeah after my school i finished my university in 2017 so um i stayed at home though i didn't get my, I, i didn't get a job immediately after i only got a job after 6 months and so i only started working in 2018 and then that was for 10 months and then i just jumped into the ship of masters so um however on a very good day if you would take me back you know to my secondary school years and then you would ask me if engineering was worth it i would tell you absolutely yes i mean i haven't been able to be part of like i don't know like construct maintain and you know build structures but have i been able to like grasp you know just the science that is involved in most of this you know existing structures and infrastructures in every place that i actually go absolutely yes and so for me that is just understanding the magic in engineering creation so yeah so your undergraduate was also in engineering absolutely civil engineering as well you mentioned that your degree was part research what yes asia are you researching on oh okay that's a very interesting question <laughs> interesting because i did not even know if i would be doing that and then um now i'm doing it and it's the most fascinating thing for me okay so my research is on um investigating durability of construction material to be very specifically recycled concrete um material so basically old buildings construction and demolition wastes that you could get from any infrastructure and then returning that into um normal building um works and then trying to investigate if they are as durable or they can perform similar to natural like materials so just sort of like comparing between somebody that is extracting natural materials somewhere so specifically though my research was on sand so basically fine aggregates but just like somebody who is you know extracting natural materials and somebody who is saying here is a building we want to demolish it i mean demolish it and then we want to construct something new um can these materials from you know this old building actually be used in this new sort of construction and how can we use it and sort of like what are the tests can we do to make to make comparison scientifically that's what i do That sounds interesting. Every time I interview <laughs> people who are not doctors, I learn so much. Yeah. So I'm really glad oh. that I'm learning all this. I'm wondering because you're mm-hmm. in research right now, do you plan to stay in research and academia or do you want to work in industry and take your research and implement it? Oh, okay. <laughs> I I get asked this question a lot now because, you know, 
supposedly I'm supposed to be winding up my master's and corrections, just my thesis corrections are a lot. But uh, so I get this question a lot now because it's what's the next step? What are you doing next? Did you really like your master's to a point that you want to make money out of it? Or is this just you contributing to the large pool of academic knowledge that is out there for the other person that is going to come? So to answer your question, though, um, if I'm being very realistic, I need to go out there and make money. And um, my research is, uh, uh, how can I put it? Let, let, me, let, me, let me give you a certain fact. Um, the fact that we are running out of sand, and don't panic, <laughs> we're just running out of construction sand, <laughs> is quite new even to engineers ourselves. And my research is just ideally um, dealing with the fact that we are running out of construction sand. One of the most fascinating um, facts I can tell you is that the, the Burj Khalifa building was made from sand, I mean, sand that was shipped from Australia, not even Dubai, where it's like a lot of sand, you know, like already there. So the idea that already for even me to convince, you know, fellow engineers that we are running out of sand, and so we need to now like diversify, look for ways and how we can you know, use alternative raw materials is also something that is new even in our own doors. It's not new in like places like, I don't know, Germany, places like um, Southern East Asia, because these people really use a lot of construction materials every single day. So they always have to go out of their ways to look forward to for alternative materials to deal with it. But in places like we come from, Tanzania, Kenya, Congo, I don't know, Uganda, we still have a lot of these natural materials that we can use, still utilize. I mean, it would be great to be to tell people right now so they can be proactive about these things, but we really aren't running out of these materials right now. So for me to say I'm going to use my master's right now and actually make money out of it, it's just a little bit tricky when it comes to the reality of things. So I have decided to sort of like just choose the way forward for me, which would be to just work in a normal consulting company, something specifically still under materials research, but something that is ongoing, that's something that is going to give me food on the table right now. <laughs> no, I totally get that. I did my master's in global health. And yes, that specific area that I want to work in yeah. is really difficult to get into so right now i'm kind of just working and really anything that comes up because i need money yes. <laughs> eventually i yes. hope to get to where i want to get to you know so i i completely yes. understand that but i'm really fascinated by this idea of sand i did not know that the butch Khalifa was made of sand. <laughs> could you just just explain to a completely unknowledgeable person how that happened yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to try. So the idea is that construction sand, right? And, by, and when I say construction sand, I mean sand that is ideally supposed to be used for normal construction. Even, you know, the, the actual normal residential houses that we build at home, and maybe they need um, concrete as well. That type of sand that they use is very specific. Specific how it, um, because concrete is, is like... Um, like a group of constituents of thing, things, sorry. It's a constituent of things, mainly um, fi fine aggregates, which is sand, coarse aggregates, which is kokoto in Swahili, or just like, you know, big, you know, um, um, sand. I mean, stones, basically, yeah. And then it's made of cement, which is 60% limestone, you know, and then it's also made of um, water. So in order to make this, you know, this is sort of like... Um, this sort of mix actually come together, you need aggregates that can interlock. You need sort of like sands that, you know, sort of like has a feature of actually interlocking together, not spreading out. And the sand that is ideally on in, in deserts or that is found, you know, most places, it's actually very round because of how it's been made. It's been made from weathering processes that takes each other, each other for thousands of years and years. And so the fact that it's round um, just negates the fact that it can be used in construction sand. Unless you have something else that sometimes they call crusher sand to mix this two together in order to give you something that we call a particle size gradation. This is sort of like... Um, the sizes of sands that we can use in construction in order for them to actually make the concrete mix. Now, what happened in Burj Khalifa was the fact that 
they had a lot of sand on their door, but the sand that they had was the beach sand. And they wanted to make this tallest building in the world, you know, and they had the most biggest experts from, you know, Arabs, from, from um, I think some of the engineers are from Bahrain, some others are from um, where Germany, people just all across the world that came in together to actually make sure that, one, they are going to land reclaim, which is, you know, get more land from the, from the ocean, and, but also make sure that they are going to really build up this big structure. And then Australia has a lot of, um, you know, construction sand. And so I'm sure they got into some sort of like um, contract to actually ship in, you know, um, that amount of sand. And where there is investment, there's always a way out. So that's where we are here. That's why I'm using that example. And sort of like showing also as well that, you know, we are running out of sand. But the other places places as well that that's a similar thing happens is in India as well. India, there's something called sand mafia. So, you know, like the way we have normal mafias, you know, like in other parts of the world, there is something as well that's called the sand mafia. And same thing happens, you know, they sort of just dig construction sand from places that are not legally supposed to. And then, so for example, you find a beach cost that was generally supposed to, you know, look really good and, you know, uh, sort of um, be constructed well and things like that. And then in the morning you find like there's a lot of deep, like, you know, pit holes of sands that have literally been removed to be taken other places. And so it's sort of just, um, it degrades the investment, but also people that live around those areas now run a risk of, you know, sleeping in houses that now would like experience settlement overnight. And, and so um, there's been a lot of reports like that upon in India specifically on sand mafia. We're so running out of sand, people. <laughs> um, honestly, very fascinated. Like you were describing different types of sand. Also answers our question because I was wondering why they wouldn't use the desert sand. that They, they have so yeah. much sand in Dubai. So I, I really wondered how that yeah. works. Still on this question, given your research mm-hmm. and your findings, what yeah. should we in the future, what materials should we be looking at to construct? I actually put up a, a tweet, I think it was a week ago, about alternative materials that we can use to actually construct. It is also a question that um, puts a smile on my face because in Africa we are very rich of that source of alternative materials. We have people like um, BAM, the BAM construct company in in uk that actually looks forward to using even things like cassava in normal just like concrete applications which is you know just available a lot in our countries but if okay let me just answer your question first so alternative materials include um recycled concrete aggregates which is you know just demolition of what we already have sorry like what we have already built for so long um, but also it includes bamboo. You you know about bamboo, right? Yeah. So it also includes bamboo as um as as one of the ways that we could sort of like adapt. But in Africa as well, we have clay clay bricks that we can sort of also um adapt. Um, the only issue that that comes whenever we are using clay is the is the production of the actual bricks that we need. Um, the production process usually requires a lot of heat, like a very huge capacity of heat, almost above 1,000 degrees centigrade. So that's just tricky there. However, there's a way that I think African countries have just always been able to build with clay bricks. Um, it's not as aesthetically pleasing or it's not as durable as you know um, engineers would like to have, but it's also a really good option to actually build with. So we can use, you know, alternative, you know, not only one, but we can sort of like juggle which we can use here and which we can use there. Um, I wouldn't really um, go to steel as much. However, steel is um, undeniably one of the most strongest performing material because, you know, just steel comes with with a lot of carbon emission. Um, But also we could go to timber if we learn how to to do good sustainable deforestation and you know, sustainable afforestation and things like that, and also preservation. The timber is also is also a really really good um, option to use. But yeah, ideally, if you are going to give, going to ask me this question in terms of like what three other alternative sources of materials we can use, I would definitely tell you um, 
meshed bricks. So basically clay, but meshed bricks. I'll tell you recycled concrete because we have it everywhere nowadays. People are, you know, deconstructing and constructing every day. And then I'll also stick to bamboo because it also, you know, fits into our culture, fits into our performance uh, requirements and yeah, aesthetically as well. It's actually pretty great. Yeah, interesting you mentioned clay bricks because my grandmother does the clay bricks and they do, you know, the molding and the burning and yeah, it does it's a lot of heat and it takes a lot of time. And obviously when you're thinking about the um environment, then you have to think about the effect of the smoke and all that on the environment. But definitely something to to think about. I'm learning so much. I'm actually so This is such a good conversation. <laughs> Thank you so so much. moving on slightly, what's been your biggest achievement so far in your career? It wasn't a win. Um, that means it wasn't a success story, but I treasured it so, so much. So I was chosen as one of the six candidates out of 200 applicants that um, were called for an interview with a BAM research institution. And that's a research materials lab based in Berlin, Germany, for a research assistant position. And it was just fascinating for me to actually know that out of 200 people, I was able to be out of like, you know, just six of those people. And I was now being given an interview. So as you can tell from the story that I wasn't able to actually get it, but the experience to actually be interviewed and people ask me questions in my field and knowing that there are people out there, you know, in really commendable spaces but if this question was ideally not in my life it it is uh, uh, one of the very few times that I was able to cook chapati with yeah very round a very round shape and uh, they also stayed for you know a, a big like a long period of time without actually getting um, torrid so if you are East African like me um, I'm so sure that you can relate to that and that is no easy fit because if it's not always been been from a parent sort of like view to be able to just, you know, um, always challenge us to be able to do these things on our own. Like why are you making chapati without like around ages? And yeah, that's <laughs> it's in my life. It's not among those few days. That chapati thing is definitely a huge achievement. I don't think <laughs> chapati because I burn myself. There are many reasons. I burn myself. My chapatis are never around. They dry out. So like initially they will be so nice and soft and then in ten minutes they're hard and crispy. Yes, you need and to I eat also them just <laughs> I also just in general don't enjoy chapati much. Um yeah. I'm not the biggest chapati fan, so they're not Sorry. that big of a deal to me. <laughs> it just <laughs> just is what it is. Um but going back to your roots, yeah. Did you always want to be an engineer? Ah, okay. Did I always want to be an engineer? Okay. No. Uh, funny story. I originally wanted to be an economist. And then I wanted to be an architect. <laughs> and finally, after a very, very long and basically um, big conversation with my late grandfather, may his soul um, rest in peace, I just realized that I wanted to be an engineer. And how did that happen? It's... Um, I always went with my grandfather in his very many projects. He's, he was always in one project or the other, and he's, he was a civil engineer as well. And so he usually just took me. I was his first grandchild, I think, and he was just fascinated with the idea of me being around him. And it fascinated me too as well. So we usually just went together to these sites and places and things like that. And I would see just how today we would go to a certain site and it was bare, just bare land. And then after a month, I would go back again and then it would be a whole bridge. And I'm just like, was this magic? Like, are you serious? So um, it was one of those things for me that always defined what magic would look like. Like, you know, we would use natural materials to actually make something out of nothing. So hi, I'm a civil engineer now. I really like that. That's so unique. I've never actually met somebody who told me that their grandparent inspired them to be something. So really? that's actually really cool. Yeah. 
with your history, I, I imagine you've seen a number of projects. What has mm. been your most interesting project or something that you've really enjoyed doing? And together with that, what challenges did you face and lessons did you learn from that? During my second year field work, I was part of the Julius Nyerere International Airport. And I mean, I was placed there for my field work. And um, I'm very excited. I just remembered how excited I was for that project because, um, one, I was part of uh, three different activities. One of the activity was that for a week, we were part of the construction of um, um, pavements. So for an engineer that is going to listen to this, um, I'm sure they would get it. But there is something called flexible pavement and rigid pavement. It was one of the things that I rarely did get when we were doing the pavement course in school. And now coming out of that and actually being part of um projects that we're doing it for an airport, for me, that was huge. And I think by then, it was back in 20, 2015, I think, yeah, 2015, it was a really big project for anybody to even partake in or even be part of. So um it introduced me personally to just how constructions can be very, you know, just not only what's the right word, what's the right word to use? Like they can be very, they can change a place and, and how it looks in a very short period of time, but also accommodate a lot of activities and be part of a lot of economical advancements as well at the same time. And also not just to put it out there as well. I think it was my first big airport to be part of. By then I, I wasn't out of the country. Like I've never, I wasn't, I just, was always a Tanzanian person and so being able to be around that airport and also getting my first trip after that field enabled me to sort of be able to um just be exposed and see how huge you know airports are and it was just fascinating it sort of just reminded me in you know on my love for engineering and so now whenever I go back home and you know my plane just lands in that airport I'm always looking at the roof structure like oh I know what went in there like oh I know what went in there like oh I know how we did that and just I mean that for me is just always really really fascinating but also so that's just one but my other project as well, I will talk about the challenges after I finish this other project. So um, my other project is called the Msikaba Bridge Project. That has been the most recent project that I'm super, super, super excited on. I just did some laboratory tests on the concrete materials that they sent in our laboratory very specifically. My professor um, assigned me in that project. It's basically a cable-stayed steel neck bridge and currently still under construction. It spans all the, it's in, it's in Lusisiki, um, near Eastern Cape of South Africa. It's designed by this Danish sort of like, um, firm. And the bridge, when it's complete, the bridge will sort of like have a main span of about 580 meter and supported from a pair of like 127 tall. I mean, and I'm sorry for saying these things. This might be, you know, just not making sense on your side, but as an engineer, it's just always fascinating to be part of like a life changing, you know, project. And why, you know why this is one among those you know projects that I can't forget. It's because it's one of the third highest bridges in Africa, and um, so now to talk about um, the challenges that I faced when I was doing um, Genia, you know, three for example. One of the challenges was just the fact that I couldn't. By then, I was a really new engineer. It was just my second year in civil engineering, and so um, a lot of things were just very theoretical to me. You know, so when people, when, when my supervisor told me, um, you know, you need survey points from one to three and be able to, to, to make like sure that it's a flat land. What are the, you know, sort of like, what are the cheap and accessible things I could use to be able to fulfill what I'm supposed to, to do as well? That was really hard by then, but everything else was fascinating. It's just that my knowledge of engineering was really new and really, you know, just young, if I can put it that way. So those were the challenges sort of like I had. How did I overcome that? I think I'll answer this question similar to the other challenge that I also overcome during Msikaba. And on this project, I think it's usually because laboratory tests on Msikaba, I mean, laboratory tests, just doing laboratory tests, it's it's very fickle. Like they're very just, it's just tricky. <laughs> but um, 
you know, my analysis and testing issues, you know, I always try to have second eyes on, on, on a lot of things, which is the same thing I did with, you know, um, when I was, when I was doing the Genia 3, you know, a project as well. I just had to make sure that one of the people that we were doing, you know, um, field work together, I had to make sure she or he is there as well. Sort of just make sure that we are doing something together. So if I'm wrong, she or he will sort of like let me know but if you know they're wrong as well i would like remember and stuff and just general my general career challenges um uh and to just speak about my general career problems uh or challenges very specifically it's also just been when i'm supposed to jump ship and at what point like for example if i was asked right now if i should take my masters when i did i would ask myself i would plead with myself to take two more extra years to actually work in my field and then come do my master's. Why am I saying that right now? It's because as a normal just graduate engineer, you need a minimum of three years to be able to be called a professional engineer and get as much, you know, just experience as you can in order to you for you not only to be registered, but for you to stand in places and be able to know what your engineering is about. And then go do my master's after those three years. So so I don't know if this happens the world over, but like in Kenya, when you do medicine, you have to mm-hmm. study for, once you finish your undergraduate, you have to do two years and then go do your yeah. master's if you're doing yeah. clinical work. And part of the reason that exists is so that you can get experience. I think it's changed over the past couple of years, but that used to be how it was. And I, so I completely understand what you said about going in and getting the experience and then going into your master's. I think it's, it helps you go in with more knowledge and a bit more um, confidence and a, a bit more direction. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, absolutely. hindsight is 2020, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, absolutely. And master's is a lot of work. I mean, not a lot of mm. work, but it's a lot of um, uh, technical specialities. It's like you sort of really need to know um, what your direction looks like and then wing it, you know, just so the, the experience that you guys are given, like the two years experience, I absolutely back that up. But, you know, yeah, as you say, hindsight. <laughs> Something I was interested in knowing, do you have, this is a very general question, but are there many engineers in Tanzania, female engineers, sorry? <laughs> Good question. Um, Yes and no. Yes, because I am an engineer myself. So I know a couple more engineers because I've been in that space. I can bring you, you know, a lot of names because I have exposed myself and I'm in that space. No, because it's just the reality. Um, If I can give you numbers, um, all the way till 20, I have data all the way to 2017 when I finished my school. So that's what, four years ago? Four years ago, we had a total of 6,000 registered engineers. This is the whole of Tanzania has 6,000 registered and not only civil engineers. This is mechanical, you know, petroleum, um, chemical, you know, civil, geotechnical, and all those engineers that you know, these are 6,000 plus some numbers, but 6,000 in total. Out of, out of that 6,000, only 600 are women. And so, 10%, right? If I'm just putting it into percent form. And this 10%, that means it's also divided across all those engineering fields. Now, to also give you a, a more direct, sorry, a more direct um, answer to your question is that just in my school, in my class alone, we were 168, if it's not 164 people, and it was only 18 girls in the civil engineering um, class. So um, that's what, that's 10% as well, right? Um, 164, 10%, yes, 16, maybe around there. And not all of us as well graduated. So um, if I can sort of just tell you that, you know, in, in the real life, we still lack a lot of feminine perspectives on how engineering should be like. What, what designs we're supposed to consider because of how a, fe- a female person is, you know, um, what is that voice that sort of comes from just um, how we view things and how the male sort of like people view things. I think that comparison is lacking so much because of the numbers 
that I've just sort of like, you know, um, summarized here for you. So, um, but, you know, the fact that I have studied engineering, I know engineering friends, you know, I could call you in a heartbeat, you know, like 10 engineers right now to sort of be like, this is an engineer, this is an engineer, this is an engineer. I mean, have they all practiced engineering until right now? No. But, you know, do they have the background? Absolutely, they do. Um, those numbers are staggering. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. What is a common misconception about the job that you do? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that was actually a really good question. Um, one of the biggest misconceptions is that civil engineers and architects do the same job. Or, very specifically, that civil engineers can design all buildings, you know? Like, all civil engineers can design buildings. Let me put it that way. And so the first one, the fact that all I mean, architects and civil engineers are the same. Um, okay, let me, let, me, let me come from it in this angle. At, in Tanzania, I'm not so sure what happens in Kenya, but like in Tanzania, when a normal person, just, you know, normal middle-income person wants to actually build their house, they just look for an engineer. It's like in their heads, one way or the other, uh, an architect has no space for their, you know, just two-bedroom apartment or one-bedroom or three-bedroom house. Like, an architect never comes into, you know, just that sort of, like, thinking. And so they go straight to an engineer and then they say, oh, I want you to design for me, you know, um, a three-bedroom house in a certain place. This is my um, this is my um, land, piece of land, and it's in a certain area. And maybe I would want maybe a basketball court or maybe I would want a swimming pool or, you know, things like that. But this is what I would want and please help me out. And then the engineers usually go through all that process to actually make sure that they design with you something. Now, this is just me trying to tell you that it's either the engineer really decided to design that those things for you but that was not their job and then um them though having the design and then calculating the structure performance of the design that is their job and then also um supervising the construction that is their job and making sure that you know you're building stands or your house stands that is their job but the initial design of your building is something we are told but it's not something engineers ideally are you know are supposed to do what who are supposed to do is the architects now usually architects only come into into play when it's about skyscrapers when it's about 12 story buildings when it's about you know things like that and and yeah actually so because architects always need to make sure that they give you a building that you know, is aesthetically pleasing, you know, can be able to, you know, consider every angles that, you know, as an architect and what they have, you know, learned actually stands. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's also their, their field is as fascinating as it comes, because these are very creative people. These are very creative engineers, to be very specific, very creative scientists also, to be specific. But I think always usually their jobs are sort of like, People just skip them, you know, and just, you know, go for just, you know, the engineers. And and, and I think ideally it's just because um, of, you know, the investment or the money they think they will give the architect and then also give the engineer and things like that. But if I was just going to advise anybody, I'll be like, even if it's a two, one story, just look for that architect because they study five years more than engineers because of something like their content to make sure that your building is aesthetically pleasing. It has included all safety, all safety facts. It, it has the standards that are, you know, durable and standards that are um, for the human safety. You know, it's something, it's something they do. It's something that they are professionally supposed to do. So um, there is a difference when it comes to architects and civil engineers from that angle. Um, however, the, I think also the only thing is just the fact that, you know, architects are, you know, people that are creative designers for big, you know, as I, as I mentioned, um, you know, high-raised buildings and things like that and not, let's say, roads or not, say, like dams or bridges and things like that, which is also an ongoing conversation in terms of, like, you know, just making sure architects also have a say on these things. But... Yeah, like professionally also as well. Engineers get to design bridges, get to design water dams, get to design um, 
roads and things like that, culverts, all these things. Uh, so I'm just guessing that we overdo our jobs also as well when it comes to um, residential buildings. Um, now, when it comes to all civil engineers as well can design, I'm, I'm a living testimony of the fact that I just can't design a building or a residential, um, you know, sort of also building uh, on the go. Like, I would need to sit with a fellow engineer and then they would remind me some few things. Like, I would know what tools to use, of course, but, like, that's not the way forward. Now, civil engineers has four different branches. So um, you could study to be a civil engineer, but be a civil engineer and the structural. Those are the people that, you know, um, are the ones that I just talked about, the ones that design similar to what the architects are doing, yeah. And then there's the civil um, transportation engineers, those are the people that work in dams, roads, you know, builds all these things that drive you or take you from one place to the other. And then there's the civil water resources engineers that deal with now culverts, you know, um, making sure you guys sort of everybody gets clean water, you know, um, um, that redirects sewage and things like that, you know, all these things. Those are the civil water resources engineers. And then there's the civil geotechnical engineers. These are the civil engineers that actually deal with um, soil and the capacity of any type of soil to hold any type of structure. So these geotechnical ones work across all these other three. And then if I also have to put it out there is that I'm a materials civil engineer. So now I, I fall under the structural department because I also um, work with materials to make sure they are structurally performing the way they're supposed to, to perform. So if I was to group myself, I would, to, I would group myself under the civil structure engineer, but I can't design. I'm not doing design. I'm making sure that the materials that people, that now the civil structure engineer is going to recommend to use, wait, first I will recommend the materials as well, but also I will make sure that they are structurally adapt like apt to actually be used for that building or also i would be able to let you know what are the repair rehabilitation maintenance sort of like things that you need to adapt for any anything that would sort of like happen any effects that would happen in your building so um it's tricky when when i sort of like just bring about the branches but yeah not all civil engineers get to design or know how to design and also, um, not all architects are civil engineers or civil engineers are architects. Um, I'm just now realizing that what I thought civil engineers do is what architects do. So thank you for that. <laughs> okay. I did not know that. A couple of things I didn't know. So I, I yeah. realized I had made that mistake. But also when you talked about like being in the lab, I was like, why would an engineer be in the lab? Be in the lab. Because in my mind... <laughs> That didn't make sense. So, like, this has been a really genuinely eye-opening <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I have a lot of people ask me the same question. You're yeah. a civil engineer. When, when why you are you in the lab? lab? I was like, why are you in the lab? <laughs> but, yeah, very eye-opening. But as we come to almost a close, aside yes. from your busy engineering life, what else do you like to do? I like to hike. And that is a very, very current hobby that I have. Anybody that has ever been to Cape Town or stayed in Cape Town would understand why I, that's a very recent hobby. This sort of a city is very mountainous and it's one of the, they make hiking look very cool here. Like it's actually a very cool activity to do because the infrastructure in the mountains as well is fantastic. And the view that you sort of like also get to, you know, see when you're up there is amazing. And it's also cheap to hike. <laughs> it's it's one among those hobbies that I've adapted that are just for my pockets as a student. <laughs> but um, also currently I'm nurturing a very new hobby, which is painting. And so I also like to just go to paint sessions and just be calm and collected in my canvas and actually just paint nothingness <laughs> and um if also to um so those are the two like the hiking one was only after i studied my master's which is 2019 the painting one is actually this year early this year the first time i you know i just took myself to a painting session a friend of mine invited me and um but Throughout all my life, I've just always answered this question with two things, sleeping and eating. If I'm not in the science, in the science sort of like environment, speaking to one, two, three, you always find me in my bed or you'll find me 
in a normal local joint ordering chips my eye or I don't know, chips kuku or whatever it is, I just like to eat. Here for everything, the hiking, the painting, the chips kuku, we would be very good friends. Um, yes. Have you hiked <laughs> Table Mountain yet? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, wow. So many times in so many routes. <laughs> Oh wow, that's actually one of the places I really want to go to. Interestingly, the like the last episode we had was actually someone from UCT as well, a PhD student, and she was also talking mm-hmm. about how she wants to hike Table Mountain. So that's interesting. What does the future look like for you oh. and for your industry? <laughs> Is there anybody that sort of um knows about the net zero agenda? or even um, either attended or was aware of um, the COP, sorry, <laughs> sorry, of the COP26 meeting that just happened in, I think it was in Netherlands, or is it Glasgow? I, I, I don't remember. But um, anybody that is aware of that, why did I, why, am I mentioning that is because the future for me specifically would be um, to be part of making that agenda true. And maybe we might not get to like zero completely, but the idea is to interchange. Now, um, the net the net zero agenda is a climate change agenda, and it basically circles around making every material. So for me, that's concrete and net zero material. What what I mean by that is that um, whatever effect that that material has to the environment, it can somehow in its process, either production, either usability, or after after sort of like use as well. Um, take it back in itself and you know when sort of we dispose it or we sort of like are done with it you know it can equal to zero so that means whatever it you know gave out it can take it back whichever way whichever form it's sort of like being used so um, now to just further explain that is that the amount now for concrete specifically that means the amount of carbon dioxide that it produces during the manufacture process it can take back during the infrastructure life cycle time Right, and so the icing, just like the icing on the top, would be to work for for me. That would be to work for an organization like the GCCA. This is the Global um, Concrete and Cement Alliance. Yeah, it, or or basically BAM, the Materials Research Institute that I was speaking about in my um, in my earlier sort of like um, explanation as well. Because these are all people that deal with sustainable materials and deal with sustainable materials not only for their countries but deal with sustainable materials in Africa. And what are the materials that are in Africa that, you know, sort of we can also bring, you know, or introduce in the construction field. So I'm really excited for that. And that would is just what excites me for the future or hoping that my future would look like that. I wish people could actually see you talking about it because you're so passionate and so animated when you're talking <laughs> about things. It's really one of my favorite things to do is watch people talk about their careers and things they're passionate about. Like they literally come alive. So um, yeah. I'm glad that you talked about that and you keep educating me. Every every oh, wow. <laughs> every answer oh. this has been very educational, so I'm very happy. And the oh, last wow. question. Given that you come from, you're in a male-dominated um, career, what advice would you give to, especially young African women wanting yeah. to go into your career based on your experiences and challenges and victories you've had so far? Okay, very quickly. What other profession is cool, guys? <laughs> but um, I won't lie. Um, if it's to just explain also what I iterated earlier is that um, both you and I, and by you and I, I mean every other listener, are probably out of the 99% that are never going to be like, you know, the Einsteins, the Abrams, the, you know, Steve, the Steve Jobs, you know, and you you don't have to call me. If you do become one, please ignore everything I'm saying. But most of us fall into the 99% outlier. and since the basics, you know, just the understanding that, you know, what does the Archimedes rule say? What does the pressure law say? Since all that stuff is done and dusted, just always try to be specific, right? Even in picking your career moves, even in picking, let's say, civil engineering, for example, as your career path, just look at your community and look at that very specific issue that you can deal with. Whatever specificity you can sort of like find in 
civil engineering and figure out that, oh, for me, it's that specific thing or that specific value that is taking me to that, you know, um, career, then please do it. If you can't find that, don't just, just don't, I think. I think um, it's one of the of those things as well that I learned last two years being doing my master's is that if something that you're doing isn't going concurrently with the value that you have individually as a person, it just, it never works. Or maybe from the knowledge and information that I have to this point in time, it just never worked. So I wish personally my younger self jumped into civil engineering research field way earlier. But like other than that, just try to be more inquisitive. No question you have is a zero sum question. And just always keep on asking those questions, no matter how much you think that people are going to look at you in a certain way and just participate more in more practical sort of like STEM related activities. And, you know, just don't be afraid to take whatever, like just impromptu sort of like initiatives that, you know, you can take to figure out whatever it is that you want to figure out because it's your life. Nobody's going to keep reminding you that. And, um, it's one among those things that, you know, if you don't do it by yourself, it's very tricky to sit there and wait for people to actually be the hero in your story. It's everybody is a hero, you know, in their own stories. So I would like a young, you know, engineer in my field, not in my field as well, to just always look for specificity, always be inclusive, in, I mean, sorry, inquisitive and always just figure out um, their values and relate that to whatever career move that they want to relate to. No matter how small it is, no matter how weird it looks in your, you know, in your head, just go for it as long as it's your value. So that's a conversation I had with Nema. I really enjoyed speaking with her. I enjoy speaking with all my guests. The thing I like about it is just getting to learn more, like I said at the beginning. And listening to them talk about the work that they're doing. I really enjoyed um, hearing Nema talk about her interest in new materials for building and how she got inspired by her grandfather and how she loves cooking chapati. I hate cooking chapati. I don't particularly enjoy it. Every time I say that with Kenyan people, they bite my head off. But, you know, I think it's it's overrated. It is what it is. But if you enjoy it, good for you. Uh yeah don't kill me that's it for this week please remember to follow us on instagram at stemming from africa and on twitter at stem from africa also if you'd like to be on the podcast or you know someone who would like to be on the podcast please fill in the form in the description box i will i always link it um, fill in the form and i'll get back to you that's it for this week have a happy new start to the year and i hope to see and hear from you next friday that will be all for this episode of stemming from africa i hope you have a great weekend and i hope to see and hear from you next friday